Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 30th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I'm your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. This episode was recorded during Mental Illness Awareness Week, so thus this episode is dedicated to any and all of those who have suffered from any form of mental illness. This week is meant to educate and increase awareness, and although this podcast focuses on one specific type of mental illness, I want to take this time to recognize all other suffering, whether concomitant with an eating disorder or otherwise. I would also like to take this time to introduce another project that I've been working on for the past couple of months. This past Monday, I got the chance to officially release my blog. (laughs) It is called A Penny for My Thoughts, and it is a blog that I thought of the idea of back in August. And... As I've talked about before, creativity for me is more of a need. It's kind of this urge that I get every once in a while, such as what happened with this podcast. And this blog is a little bit of a different creative outlet because it is mostly writing. There's some photography on there as well, but mostly writing. And I kind of wanted to a portfolio of all of the things that I've been working on and doing over the past couple of years, all of the content that I've been producing in one place. And also, again, it's an attempt at self-preservation because I get this space online to do whatever I want with, so I really get to exercise my creativity with full freedom And I just like making those spaces for myself. So if you are interested in reading the blog, looking at my photography, even getting more resources from the podcast, I would highly recommend visiting pennyformythoughts.org. That's the uh, blog domain. And I even have made available several resources from the podcast that will be on the blog. So on the blog, you'll have several tabs. There's a tab about the podcast. There's a tab about um, my creative writing, my critical writing, my photography, and like an about me tab. And the tab about the blog, you can go to a little semi-heading that says HTIL resources. And in that heading, you can find several resources beyond the podcast that may help you if you're looking for them. And I'll read them out now. And these are several kind of essay, more journal entry type things that you can look at. They include body image and bathing suits, body neutrality versus body acceptance, breaking the trigger to disordered urge trap, making peace with weight change, And finally, mindful mealtime. 
So there's five different resources on the blog that you are welcome to look at and use at your desire. I'm hoping as I continue writing these episodes to continue updating the blog with more resources for people who need them. And also, if there's a specific topic that you want me to cover in blog format, let me know. The best way to reach me is through Instagram at heavier than I look. And I um, will definitely do that for you guys. So that's just a little update in terms of my creativity. And I hope you guys enjoy that if you want to if you want to go look at the blog, pennyformythoughts.org. Today's episode will discuss vanity sizing and the dangers this poses to eating disorder survivors and sufferers. Clothing in the life of any survivor can be really, really triggering. A product can connote a certain body, whether pre-eating disorder, peak eating disorder, or post-eating disorder. There is no doubt that an eating disorder survivor may cycle through many bodies during their recovery process, considering that physical recovery, typically weight gain for restrictive eating disorders, is necessary in the life of a survivor. Further, our bodies can hold on to memories of a specific piece of clothing, the first time you bought it, the first time it fit you, and the first time it didn't fit anymore. These thoughts are disparaging and triggering, but may be exacerbated with the presence of what is known as vanity sizing or size inflation. This is a phenomenon that explains size labels being labeled as smaller than their actual true size. This may also include those brands that only make one size of a particular product, which is understandably very exclusive. It should go without saying here that one size does not fit all. There is a quantitative shift in which manufacturers produce clothing that is larger to accommodate the growing size of women, yet do not label such clothing with larger numbers. For example, a woman's size 8 fits a waist of 23.5 inches in 1958. Yet today, a size 8 fits a waist of 29 inches in 2008. And I wonder, too, I don't have updated statistics on 2021. And I would go so far as to say that a size 8 likely fits a larger waist today. 50 years ago, the smallest size a woman could buy in clothing was a size 8. Yet because of vanity sizing, we must accommodate smaller sizes all the way down to a triple zero. This is thought to preserve the dignity of the smaller numbers in which most customers feel more confident given our society's overwhelming dependence on self-value defined numerically. In fact, larger sized labels have been studied as reducing customer self-esteem, a negativity of which is transmissible to the product itself. Customers actually end up liking that product less, which may affect their continued shopping habits at any particular department or brand. Since clothing is getting larger but is not including larger numbers, clothing manufacturers are compensating by creating smaller size numbers. 
There has even been a push among certain brands to go sub-zero with clothing labels, which is ironically mirroring the eating disorder's intention to take up negative space. Unfortunately, due to cultural conditioning largely influenced by diets and fitness metrics and self-worth as quantitative, small sizes make us feel good because of their connotation as beauty, convention, and desirability. Jim Lovejoy, the industry director for the Size USA survey, says, quote, According to standard size measurements, an average-sized woman should be wearing a size 16. But thanks to vanity sizing, she's probably buying a size 10 or 12. Most companies aren't using the standard ASTM, the American Society for Testing and Materials, sizes anymore. Sizes have been creeping up a half inch at a time so that women can fit into smaller sizes and feel good about it, end quote. Garments before a manufacturing revolution in the mid-1900s were made custom. The clothes were tailored and produced to fit each individual body, loyal to an eating disorder recovery notion that it is the clothing's job to fit your body not your body's job to fit into the clothing. During World War II, military uniforms and wartime outfits birthed the the mass production of clothing because of the need for such uniforms outpaced the ability to sew clothes by hand. Standardized sizing arrived for the general population post-World War II, resulting in mass production and a consumer revolution. The U.S. Department of Agriculture set to define sizes in the early 1940s. They conducted a study in accordance with the women's measurements for garment and pattern construction, which measured 15,000 women, the majority of whom were white and from a single socioeconomic class, and of the preferred hourglass shape, which was popularized by the corsets of the Victorian era. Although there was a major revision done 30 years later, the homogenous standards understandably are excluding the growing diversity of body sizes and shapes today. In 1958, Ruth O'Brien and William Shelton's research resulted in a set of numbers, a set of even numbers, 8 through 38, to represent the overall size and, set of, and a set of letters, T, R, and S, and symbols, plus and minus to represent height and girth, respectively. O'Brien and Shelton put forth these measurements through the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Brands were advised to make their clothes accordingly. This government-backed standardized sizing system has all but failed today, considering that a whole host of varying brands use customized sizing systems with various physical metrics designating different sizes. For example, a size 12 waist measurement is 28.5 inches for COS, 29.1 inches for Zara, 30 inches for H&M, 30.5 inches per pretty, for Pretty Little Thing, and 31 inches for TU Sainsbury's. The sizing differentiation between these separate brands can make it nearly impossible to shop for. It serves to stand, then, that an estimated 40% of the $240 billion worth of apparel purchased online is returned because of sizing issues. Understandably, situations of ill-sizing can affect your emotional well-being and self-esteem. 
especially if it is during a fragile state of attempted recovery, and especially if you might exist in a larger body. Inflation sizing reflects the ideology that smaller bodies and numbers for defining those bodies are more desirable. The notion of vanity sizing as self-delusion is very much real. And although temporarily this might aid an eating disorder survivor, as they are faced with a smaller number than standardized sizing might tell them, it more or less assimilates to the rules of the eating disorder, which are to live in as small of a space as possible, causing harm to those who live in larger bodies and those who might have to exist in a larger body post-eating disorder. Dr. Gary Bennett, professor of psychology, global health, and medicine at Duke University, says, quote, For some reason, it's become popular for us to tell women to, gu- to gauge their weight via the fit of their clothes. Some seem to think this is an approach that is easier for them to bear emotionally, but it's certainly possible that some might be deceived. End quote. In this way, the piece of clothing effectively functions as a scale. And although I might say ditch the scale, I can't necessarily say ditch the clothes. Therefore, clothing can be an ongoing trigger in the life of a survivor, one confronted every single day when dressing. This thought of delusion might be necessary in some cases, because if not, the recoverer faces a larger hurdle, a sicker society, a sicker culture that they must reckon with. Yet ultimately, the idea of size inflation or vanity sizing inhibits our collective society from moving on, moving beyond our self-value as solely determined by a number, and specifically the numbers that we wear. And that's why this podcast has an overarching goal, to abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. Vanity sizing has rendered most labels meaningless, despite the fact that these predetermined labels carry incredible meaning in our lives today. Shopping and finding clothing that fits is a painstaking process, especially for more vulnerable audiences such as those recovering from an eating disorder. Fitting rooms, department stores, and shopping malls can be the content of nightmares for the recovered. I've found this myself, having gained weight and more or less physically recovered. Retail and therapy have never and will never be joined in my vocabulary. An eating disorder resurgence, relapse, may be triggered by a perceived size change, and vanity sizing may pose an added danger to these same individuals. Some resolutions, although this is a macrocosmic societal issue causing irreparable damage. 
We must sever the connection between self-value and numerical value. These are not the same. Know automatically that brand sizes can't be trusted as self-worth determinants, as they don't always and perhaps never reflect true measurements. Buying clothing can become an even more triggering process with this notion of vanity sizing because your conception of body and self is further skewed by the sizes that you wear. Consider removing this trigger completely by cutting out the labels in your clothing. These labels are all itchy anyway, so might as well get rid of them. And this is the harder part. You can cut out a label and a piece of clothing, but you can't necessarily cut out the memory that's associated with that piece of clothing, especially if it is peak eating disorder. But you have to try. Try and separate the memory of the clothing having defined a specific part of your life. And if it's helpful, fragment your life and the bodies that you've lived in. The space that your body decides to land in, land in today, at this very moment, is a space that must be respected by you and the clothes that hold it. Prioritize comfort in all cases of clothing. Although we might still have to wait some time for a reintegration of a customized sizing system with the projected use of artificial intelligence, know that your well-being comes before your fashion sense or brand loyalty. This is just the beginning to this conversation. There's no concretized and secure resolution that will solve all of our problems, especially considering that although we may have sick minds or sick bodies, we exist in a sick world. And there's no escaping that sickness in our lifetime. And the sickness manifests itself in different ways, one of the ways being vanity sizing. Considering the fact that us as consumers, us as part of a capitalist system, we need to be validated by a smaller number because this tells us we take up less space and therefore are more valued more valuable human beings if we take up less space. It's easier said than done, and this is an oversimplification, but don't let a piece of fabric determine how you feel about your body. It deserves to be respected and clothed and held by fabric that feels comfortable, that doesn't tell you that you are reduced to a number. And obviously these implications feel that much more heavy 
with the context of an eating disorder. And it's a battle that I'm still waging today in my own life, a war that I'm hoping to to wage in the life of me as an individual in this society. But again, this is the beginning of the conversation. So I hope you found this interesting. If you would like to learn more about what sources I used in the discussion of vanity sizing and clothing as a trigger, my citations will be placed in the show notes. All new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast. Feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own eating disorder story, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel that treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTL has its very own Instagram and Twitter accounts. If you would like to interact with the podcast further or suggest your own episode topic, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTL Podcast. If you're interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Do not be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTIL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.